Welcome to another episode of Capital Musings, the official podcast of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. If you've listened to our previous episodes, thank you. If this is the first time you're listening, welcome. You can find Capital Musings on our website, uncdf.org, on our landing page at captivate.fm, and also on iTunes and Spotify. Please subscribe to our podcast, and if you're a subscriber, of course, please rate us highly. Today on the podcast, actually, this is our first repeat guest. So we've had a few firsts in the last few weeks. Our previous two episodes featured our first two external guests. This episode is our first repeat guest. I'm with Jafar Machano. He's the Global Program Manager of the Municipal Investment Finance Program with the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Jafar, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, David. And uh, thank you for asking me back into the podcast. You're welcome. It's a place of high honor. So I know that you appreciate that. Thank you. So the reason that we asked you to come back is because, as you know, and as many of our listeners know, February is the month where we focus on SDG 11, and that is the Sustainable Development Goal regarding sustainable cities. And that is a core issue and on the challenge side, a core challenge that we uh, deal with and that we address at the United Nations Capital Development Fund, specifically insofar as unlocking capital for municipalities, for local governments, for entities at the subnational level so that they can have the agency to be drivers of inclusive economic growth. There are a number of challenges that relate to why municipalities have tremendous difficulty being those engines of inclusive economic growth, including, in many cases, the inability to access capital. Now, Joffer has been on our show previously, as we've already established. He was on episode three of Capital Musings, and we spent a good amount of time focusing on those challenges and really unpacking them. So if you're interested in learning about those challenges, I would ask that you go back to episode three Because episode nine, this podcast is going to focus on solutions, on the solutions that UNCDF and in at least one case, other partners are driving not only to support municipal finance, but really to transform the global financial architecture to make it more flexible in favor of municipalities. So again, we're going to be focusing on the solutions and I couldn't have asked for a better guest than to have Joffer with us. So Given that I did say that I wanted to focus on solutions, I will ask, just in the interest of context, just to provide a few short thoughts specifically on those challenges that, again, you unpacked so well in episode three. But for those who might not be aware, what are the challenges that prevent municipalities, in particular those in least developed countries, from accessing the capital that they need to grow and to implement the projects that they need to drive sustainable development? Thank you, David. So maybe looking at the challenges, the best way to look at it is the ability to deliver service to the community. And that is a municipality or local government reason of being, so to speak. And a lot of this, there's, of course, the issue of policy, but there's the issue of delivering having an appropriate infrastructure, for example, so that water can be connected to houses or electricity can be connected to houses. Or you can have markets and supermarkets where people can buy food and the network of food coming in and out to be in place. So we take for granted in developed countries, but these 
services in developing countries and especially in the least developed countries are not there. And this is what we mean when we say us in UNCDF, we are focusing on the last mile of development. We want to reach the communities that still are not included in the economic growth and they are the poor of the poor. So to put the challenges in uh, buckets, I'll say the biggest one is ability to access capital. Because when you go to each and every municipality, it could be one of the remote municipality in a country in Africa, they have the plan. They know already, the constituents know they need electricity. But how? So that is the challenge. So there's the challenge of raising funds in order to implement. There's the challenge of know-how and ability to deliver physically, the construction companies and, and technology. And then there's the big challenge on How does a municipality allowed by the central government, because globally, as we know, the unit of development is a sovereign state. It's the state which is a member of the UN agency. It's the state which creates the policies that then municipalities are able to operate in. So how the relationship between a local government and a central government, not every country is as federally arranged and have the room that the U.S. states or cities have in terms of engaging capital markets and be able to do it on their own. A lot of countries, cities, and local governments have to come under the umbrella of the central government. So this issue of policy on accessing to capital, it's a big issue. It's actually one of the biggest elephants in the room in a lot of discussions because it cuts both ways. The private side, a lot of municipalities are not allowed to access capital. But also on the public side, they tend to depend on interfiscal transfers between federal or central governments and the local governments. So when that system doesn't work well, there's no like formulaic approach to it, whether it's a population density or earmarked for certain activities. Let's say education grants from the central government have to come in a certain way or certain cities will get certain amount of money based on the population of that city. So when it's arbitrary, it's very hard to plan. So how can you do an infrastructure that needs 10, 15 years repayment or access to capital with a view of only one year? This is how you're going to get your public money or this is how you can raise your taxes. So those three buckets, I think, major issues. It probably would be surprising to a number of our listeners to consider that just the mere regulatory authority to tax the mere authority to issue debt to access capital markets, that these authorities don't exist in many municipalities in the world. Whereas, obviously, particularly in developed economies, we just take it for granted at the municipal level. So it's an important point to bring up. And again, you could go back to episode three, talking about the challenges. But now let's move to the solutions. And I want to reference a couple of pieces that you've put together, that you've written, and really very important contributions to the conversation. One is a piece that was published in Foreign Policy magazine titled The Future of Development is Local, a piece that you co-authored with our Deputy Executive Secretary Xavier Michon. And you lay out the challenge, you do that in beautiful form, and then you lay out a number of solutions. And one of them involves how we book debt or the disaggregation of national debt and subnational debt. So talk about the importance of that as a solution. So I think the way to look at it first, of course, is in a lot 
of work that municipalities do, whether it's collecting garbage in the morning or making sure there's universal education to the schools or there's hospitals that are working all the way to hard infrastructure of water, electricity, roads and stuff, they need to have appropriate funds for appropriate bucket. So it's not just ability to raise debt, but even on their own resources, taxes Mm -hmm. or service fees, levies. And of course, the big one is the central transfers, the central government transfers. So what we are saying is governments need to recognize, and when I say governments, I mean national central governments. They need to recognize this challenge and be flexible both internally to give room to the municipalities and local governments to be able to do this and to allow them to stand on their own credit. Obviously, there will be the ones which will be shaky, which is fine. I mean, we are in New York City and we know Detroit's problems and many other cities, but there will be winners. And majority of the cities, these are cities, these are governments. They're not going to disappear tomorrow. If there's a problem, it gets restructured and it moves on. So for us, we think this is a big issue. And there's a main reason why we think this is a big issue. And the biggest of reasons is a lot of poor countries don't have enough capital in the savings form because pensioners and insurance pools are not large enough for internal capital to supply the ability of investments needed to develop a country. And therefore, one way or another, capital has to come from outside. So if municipalities want to increase the efficiency of a local economy and there's a need of roads, Mm -hmm. there is no way it can cover all its roads by just looking at the internal pools of capital. And this is especially for medium-sized countries uh, to large. So how does this national or central government allow foreign investment capital to come to sit next to the central government and apply that capital is actually one of the big levers of how countries develop. So there's one of the most interesting example was when the Erie Canal was being built and I think the state of Pennsylvania went to England to issue debts to build the canal. And how did that work? Because this was right at the beginning of the experiment of the U.S. state's ability to raise capital. And it worked really well and then it defaulted. And all these British investors were saying, how come can a governor of Pennsylvania eat that well with steaks and everything when he invited them to discuss, but he cannot pay his debt, (laughs) right? (laughs) So for me, this is exactly the point. The point is today when we look how important the canal is in the trade from the central states and Midwestern states, Mm you realize without having that canal connected to the rail network, a lot of exports and jobs and how the economies are interconnected will not have worked. But there is no way in a poor country today to build a canal or a subway system, bringing in capital that will realign a city or a region with benefits of hundreds of years because it's a big quantum. The governments don't have it, but the government have closed the ability to borrow to only to the central government uh, perspective. So this is one of the major issues that we expand in quite a bit of the article you referred to. And I think what you're talking about is 
at the worst case scenario, uh, municipalities in various parts of the world that will be indefinitely foreclosed from the prospect of sustainable development. Sustainable development will literally leap over municipalities throughout developing countries and LDCs in particular. It's a harrowing prospect. I do want to move to another solution that you reference in your foreign policy piece, but I should add that you have another piece that will appear in the UN Chronicle. This is the official online magazine of the United Nations. In fact, I think by the time this podcast airs, the piece will be up. And this solution is basically about, to the point you were referencing before, enacting or driving the regulatory and policy atmosphere that can enable municipalities to access credit, to have that agency when it comes to their finances. And I actually would like to, for you to speak to a specific example, which is the work that you're doing in Bangladesh as an example of that solution. So in Bangladesh, we've been doing quite a while now for a few years, and we've worked with the central government and the local governments to define this challenge. The SDGs have really provided a good platform to communicate this mm-hmm. challenge because mm-hmm. now the central government, after signing to the global UN agenda of 2030, they understand the importance of the local governments as implementers of development. Sure. So now, all of a sudden, municipal finance is part of development finance. Sure. All of, sudden, all of a sudden. All of a sudden, Yes, yeah. because before, yeah. this was an internal issue that the central government can close it off and have this political discussion with the locally appointed or elected officials. But now it's part of what they report to the UN. So now it's known how much of capital actually reach certain municipalities. And when you go to OECD, we have worked with OECD on their website. There's specific each country and we have unpacked this on the observatory. So what we are doing in Bangladesh is we've been able to show this to the central government. The central government has agreed to test it. We went very conservatively, applied the credit rating methodology just like any other developed city world. We took 10. Out of the 10, three came out at an investment grant. And these are really good municipalities. I visited them myself. We looked at the books. I mean, you know, they have 94% collection rate on taxes and levies and pretty much independent from grants and central government ability to give donations. So now the central government has allowed to test municipal finance flexibility in the corporate bond market because Mm -hmm. there's no specific muni market. So we are working to define the projects and what kind of instrument will be in the market. We have specific regulatory dispensation to do that. And we are doing feasibility studies and engineering designs. And we are using mostly local capabilities because capabilities is there. Bangladeshi corporates are doing this all the time. Mm -hmm. And of course, the central government is doing this all the time. They're building bridges and roads and all of that. It's just that the local government have been left behind. Right. If not for your project, there would have been three cities, investment grade, that on paper should compete for capital, and they would not have been able to had this program at least not involved itself by establishing that these investment grade cities you know, exist in the first place. Yes, yes. And a question of access. I mean, the point here that we are trying to make is the system has to be flexible enough. The word we are using is the financial ecosystem has to be flexible enough for the cities to be on the table 
to be able to get the access to it. Sure. Of course, seeing it way better than I ever could. Let's go into one more solution that you lay out, and it's the need for financial tools and products that can drive international investments to local infrastructure projects. And this is quite topical and timely for you because there is one particular vehicle that you have been involved with for a significant period, the International Municipal Investment Fund, or the IMIF. Why don't you talk about the IMIF in the context of how a tool or vehicle like this can drive the change that you're looking for insofar as municipal payments? So from the economic terms, when there's this clear gap hole of a certain area that has legitimate demand of capital, but funds and capitals are not reaching there, we call it a market failure, right? The market has failed to deliver that capital to the area where it's uh, needed most. And the best way to do it, yes, there's need of policy and institutions like the um, stock exchanges and regulations on how to operate that access to capital. And But the best way to do it is by demonstration. So we've created, and rightly so, it's been a year and a half now we are working on this, a third-party fund. It's going to be incorporated in Paris, managed by an independent uh, fund manager called Meridium. Meridium has been doing investment in infrastructure for a while. It's actually a $7 billion fund. So we are creating a specific vehicle that will raise capital globally, and it will apply this commercially, just like any other muni fund does in the United States or Canada or other developed countries. And it will demonstrate on how to invest on this investment-grade projects or local governments globally. It's an exciting idea. We've talked to quite a few investors from pension funds to development banks to governments who are interested to support the initiative. It's going to start at around 350 million euros. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a bit of interest already the fund will also operate next to a technical assistant facility, which we will manage internally. And that will be specifically there to support cities because they've not done this before. We will provide specific support for them to slowly start being able to restructure their budgets, have projects properly prepared for bankability and hand-holding, whether there's a credit enhancement or guarantees, so that they can access to capital. So you're providing the technical assistance that would ideally help municipalities in the context of individual projects compete for funding within the IMF. Yes. Yeah. And of course, the IMF will invest on a commercial basis. Sure. So it has to be a project that can stand on its own, or it has to be a municipality with an appropriate credit rating that has the ability to borrow at the general obligation level that it can put funds on its balance sheet. So from our side, we are agnostic to whether it's a project or a balance sheet of a municipality as long as it's done conservatively and with uh, appropriate financing principles for it to get access to capital. And can public-private partnerships also apply for IMF funding? Yes, yes. And it's as long as it's a project that the local government uh, council has approved, right. then it gets access to this uh, suite of financing I've described, and it's end-to-end, -end. so it can start from a concept note all the way to investment capital. Really the value proposition of the IMF that it is going to be laser-focused on locally driven projects. Yes, yes. and produce this end-to-end -end idea because there's a lot of initiatives out there, but there's no one initiative that covers everything from support to local governments to credit enhancement to structuring to investing. So the idea is 
we are there with the local government all the way. And even after investing, we will support even the operations and the regulatory reform and the tariffs and all of that, uh, what is needed. That's fantastic. So thank you for that. We'll definitely look to have you on again to talk to us about the progress involving the IMF. We could talk about this topic for 10 episodes. I'm not going to ask you the question about your journey, as the penultimate question typically entails. Anyone who's interested in Joffrey's journey can go to episode three and hear that answer. So we're just going to go to the final question, and it relates to an idea that you've been very passionate about, and it's about how sustainable development at the local level is about more than economics and finances. It's about governance. It's about ensuring that there's a healthy relationship between the population and the state. It's about ensuring the continuing expansion of democratic norms. So. Just unpack that for us. And often you tend to reference Mahmoud Mamdani, uh, who, for those in the area of political science, political economy, he's a well-known thought leader, citizen and subject, think his best-known work. But you typically reference Mamdani in the context of this idea that you have about locally driven sustainable development. So why don't you close with that idea? <laughs> thank you. Light way to close the show. Yeah, thank you, David. What a question, uh, and especially to come at the end uh, when there's not enough time to actually <laughs> explain it. So I think for me, when we talk about local government financing or ability for local governments to raise capital to do its mandate of service delivery, we tend to forget that all of what local government does, it has to come out of the city. It's the people and the taxes that they collect out of it and the central government ability to understand how to grow that city that actually provides the long-term vision which financing is laying on top of it. Mm -hmm. So it's more like financing is a software. There has to be a hardware that is well designed and it's in place and it's functioning in order for financing to make sense. Mm -hmm. And this idea is when I grew up in a typical African city in Dar es Salaam and coming from an island, when you go to any of these developed cities, you will see actually where the planning ends and where the slums start, right? The power of the city ended at some point and then the growth continued because people and population grow and people came from hinterland. The city is growing. But the power of that city's fathers, as they call them, ended at some point. And you have this mishmash of planning that don't constitute a working city. And this is the main problem of a lot of developing cities. And when you think about this and why I like a lot of Mamdani's thought is because the ones who are able to be taxed as a, either as an individual or a business are the ones which have been integrated into the system. And that is the capital then can be recycled to infrastructure and all these other programs. Sure. The ones who are there in the city, but they are informal, as another thought leader will call it in the mystery of capital, it's their wealth and accumulation of that wealth. It's non-taxable. And governments tend to tax on revenue or something like that, which is it's like a crude way, but they have to do something. So the way that the governance identify a citizen versus the person who is there but is not part of that official citizenry affects how much a government has an ability to deliver that service. Sure. So you will find in a lot of these developing countries, people will come from villages or hinterlands to the city, but 
when they come, these are people who come from families and generations of living in a village where properties and wealth are not part of social private wealth accumulation. Mm -hmm. They've been accumulated in one way or another through pool of social ability, whether it's a king or a village land or something. So when they come, they have nothing. It's like an immigrant who's coming in to the United States. It's at the beginning, you have nothing. But also, most of them don't have birth certificates, they don't have identities. So it's very hard for them to get integrated. And because they're coming from the poor areas, they tend to have not good education. So imagine somebody who comes in that does not have education, does not have ability to have accumulated wealth, and comes to a new city where there is no way of integrating him. They tend to sit on the periphery of the city. And this is where you'll see the line is growing and slums are growing, and there is quite a hard chunk of how to integrate them. I think uh, China and Singapore have really good examples you can look in on how they broke down that barrier and integrated people within the society. So the thought is, unless we are able to integrate who used to be subjects into citizen and governed by the civil law, which then the financial taxes, regulatory systems work on top of it, development will never be inclusive. And these people doesn't mean that they don't have wealth. It's just that their wealth, which is being accumulated, is informal. So the best example that I like is if you go to any pastoral community, somebody can have a thousand head of cattle. Each cow could be about a thousand dollars, right? But that person in a GDP of a country is poor because his wealth is not accumulated as part of the country's wealth. He will not be able to go to the bank and say, this is the cattle I'm putting as collateral. I need this much, maybe 10% of the money. But somebody who has a really small rinky-dinky house on a proper street with a title deed that is worth 10% of that is actually much wealthier on the legal books and has ability to access capital, to access education, and all these other services. And this is the effect of service delivery to the poor. Sure. And therefore, more and more as we do development work in financing, finance reaches its limit where the social democratic governance structures end at the social level. That's uh, it's a large idea. <laughs> it's a large idea, but it's, it's a powerful idea. And I think for those who at times may be thinking... Sustainable cities, yeah, that's that's important, but what is the dramatic importance of it relative to the agenda and, and relative to sustainable development as a whole? Clearly, you've laid out a compelling case for why that is the case. So, Jaffa Machano, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on again. Jaffa Machano is Global Program Manager for the Municipal Investment Finance Program with the United Nations Capital Development Fund. When we post this podcast, we will post both his foreign policy piece and the new piece he just published with the UN Chronicle, the official online magazine of the United Nations. Capital Musings is a product of the Partnerships Policy and Communications Unit of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Fernando Zaraus and Carlos Macias are the producers. Thanks very much, and you'll hear from us soon.